So what I would love to see in the future is an openness from um, from a funding perspective to talk to the Ministry of Health around this. And I think you know, as we gain some more traction, we'll see that. As we get some more clinical evidence, we'll see that. But right now, the biggest barrier to patients is, is cost um, or doctors that aren't willing to prescribe because they're looking for evidence. Chasing the sun, how New Zealand is getting medical cannabis right. When it comes to operating a domestic medicinal cannabis market, New Zealand has a lot to teach the rest of the world. And Carmen Duran, CEO of Auckland-based Helios, is at the forefront of these efforts. She tells us more about how she and her fellow Kiwis are getting it right. And welcome to the latest edition of the Lobster Pot Podcast. I'm Dave Barton. This is my co-host, co-founder, Jamie Bonthron. How are you doing this morning? It's Friday morning, Jamie. Sun is shining. Got the Friday vibes. I'm loving it. You're I'm loving looking it. forward to more of Friday, more of weekend, and happy to be here. Yeah, fr- more Fridays, more weekends. And yep. uh, we have a very special guest today. We have Carmen Duran, who is very well known in New Zealand. She is the founder and CEO of Auckland-based Helios Therapies. And she's actually here in the UK at the minute and uh, often back to New Zealand's winter very, very soon. But she found some time to chat with us today about what's happening in New Zealand, and it's a very interesting there, quite ahead of the time compared to, I think, uh, here in the UK. So welcome, Carmen. How are you doing today? I'm great. Good morning, everyone. How are you feeling? Are you So you've been you've been in Europe for a few the last few weeks, haven't you? Because we met at uh, ICBC Berlin. How how's so you've been here for the whole summer, this, this side of the world. Is that right? I have. So in New Zealand, uh, with COVID, our borders were locked for quite some time. And it's been great to come across to Europe and reconnect with some of the people that I'd only ever seen on a screen, uh, be able to see them in three dimensional and also meet some people we'd had some emails with, go and go to the conference. So my European whirlwind trip started at ICBC in Berlin, Um, had a few travel and flight disruptions in Europe. Travel in Europe is not as easy as it maybe used to be. So that changed plans a few times, but I've still managed to get out there and visit a lot of our customers, our suppliers, some of our research partners. And it's been so, so good to see everyone face to face and to talk about what's happening in New Zealand, what's happening in Europe and uh, make some plans for the future. It does make a difference actually being able to actually go and see people in person. I mean, I know the whole thing is like, well, we can have conversations like this and it's great. We can get stuff done. But, you know, spending a bit of time with people sitting down and, you know, just having a chat in person just makes the world a difference, I think. And that's what's great about these the shows we've kind of been to. It is uh, so much going on. But tell us more about Helios Therapies and a little bit about yourself and your sort of background and how you when did you start working in cannabis? What what's uh, yeah? Tell us a little bit about that. So Helios Therapeutics was founded in 2018. Uh, So we are New Zealand's largest producer of medicinal cannabis and are vertically integrated. A little bit about our journey is that uh, we were founded before the regulations were in place in New Zealand. So our founders uh, were making some plans uh, based, you know, on some assumptions. And I think that they've got a lot of things right through that process. Uh, We finished the construction of our building in 2020. So we have an 8,800 square meter vertically integrated facility in Auckland, which is New Zealand's largest city located in the top of the North Island. 
Uh, we have cultivation, we have extraction, we have our fill and finish, as well as our own analytical and R&D labs all based there under one roof. Um, so it's really nice to have that finished at the end of 2020. 2021 for us was about entering the domestic market, so the New Zealand market for our patients at home. Uh, we got our GMP license in July of 2021, the first in the medicinal cannabis industry in New Zealand to achieve that, and then entered market later that year for our New Zealand patients. And for us, 2022, uh, we've got some more exciting products coming to market for patients in New Zealand, but we also begin our export, which is part of the reason that I've been in Europe over the last mm. month and meeting with people. Very cool. I just realized I said the company name wrong, so I apologize. It's Helios That's Therapeutics. Right. Therapeutics. <laughs> Therapeutics. I was, I was, you can I was just in... call it Helios for short. That's what I, we all I call should, it. I should have just done that, shouldn't I? But that's fine. That's cool. No, but it's really interesting. So you are at a point where you're now going to be exporting to the rest of the world. I mean, New Zealand's known for sort of great produce generally, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there's kind of lots of different things. And it's kind of like, well, does cannabis grow really well there? I mean, again, we were saying earlier that you have quite a similar climate to the UK. And mm -hmm. I guess the UK, I mean, we do, I think we grow a fair amount of uh, product here, but um, it doesn't, you know, it all has to kind of be exported. We can't, I mean, we have that kind of ridiculous situation where we have to kind of import, you know, even though we're growing it here. It's very different in New Zealand, isn't it? You, you can actually grow domestically, supply domestically, and now you've gotten to a point where you're actually able to export. But so it must be, you must be doing something right. It's growing well there. Yeah, so at Helios Therapeutics, we have an indoor highly controlled grow, uh, but we also have a number of partners across the country where we take outdoor grown medicinal cannabis biomass uh, for our extract products. Uh, across New Zealand, there's over 40 cultivation licenses issued for medicinal cannabis. So there's a whole range of different cultivation models from very small scale growers up to larger producers like Puro based in the South Island. Uh, that's who's supplying our biomass for our next products that we're producing. Um, we have indoor grow like at Helios, we have tunnel houses, we have glass houses, we have outdoor grow. So basically any cultivation you can imagine we do see in New Zealand. Uh, there are definitely spots in New Zealand outdoors where cannabis is growing very well and has been for a number of years, uh, for a long time before medicinal cannabis was in place yeah, yeah. Uh, through the illicit market. And I think one of the really interesting things about the New Zealand regulations that I haven't seen in other countries is that we have an opportunity to uh, declare illicit genetics and bring those into the medicinal cannabis scheme. Mm. So where people have been using a potential, you know, a strain that's really working for some particular indication, we're able to work with the illicit growers and with the medicinal cannabis agencies and through a declaration process, those can then become legal genetics in the medicinal cannabis scheme. And I think that gives us a real opportunity across genetic strains that we've been talking a lot here in Europe and unique genetic strains to bring some things that have been, you know, under the radar for a long time that we're still learning about, but be able to bring those into a medical setting. That's, that's amazing. I mean, that's really progressive when you think about it. I mean, in New Zealand, you had a referendum not too long ago on recreational use, didn't you? So what was the what was the outcome of that? We had a referendum and the outcome was basically split right down the middle, 50-50. 
um, but just through a very, very narrow margin, didn't go through around recreational. I know how and that I goes, think, but in a different context, obviously here in the UK, it's Brexit, <laughs> Brexit for cannabis, but you know, it kind of, yeah. We're not going to talk about Brexit. It's probably a whole nother podcast. <laughs> oh, <right>? absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but there we go. Um, but I think that what it showed us is that there is an openness around cannabis, but the education piece was missing before the referendum. And I think the wording of the referendum also probably scared a number of people because it talked very much about recreational cannabis. And I think if they'd approached it differently and looked at, for example, decriminalization of cannabis, then the outcome would have been very different. Um, New Zealanders in general have an open mind about things, but a conservative background. Um, so it's a really interesting culture to bring something like this in. Uh, our medicinal cannabis scheme came in about the same time as a referendum happened. So there was also a lot of confusion because the two things right. were happening at the same time. So I think what we'll likely see in New Zealand, uh, we're tied to the medicinal cannabis scheme at this stage. And Helios is very much focused on producing medicines and improving quality of life. And but we may see changes over time around those regulations, uh, particularly around CBD. When we look to what's happened, for example, in the UK with the novel food standards or across in Australia where there is uh, the CBD products going over the counter with clinical data to support that. So I think the New Zealand regulations will look to countries like Australia, like the UK, see how those things play out and we may see changes over time. It's really interesting you talking about the illicit market and there being almost a bridge back to it and a, and a, and a way a transition effectively away from illicit, well, not necessarily illicit use, but illicit supply and taking the expertise and the knowledge that is already within well, those growers kind of heads and bring it over to a professional and a regulated context. How does that work in in practice? You know, on the because I imagine that's quite a complicated process. It You're is. talking about declarations. Is someone maybe not happy to give up either genetic information or, you know, admitting to anything that potentially they've been involved in? How does that kind of work on 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 a day to day basis? Yeah. So um, in some cases, it works really well, depending on the growers. So some of our growers are very much out there and wanting to help people, and that's how they got into growing in the illicit market. So um, how it works in practice is that Helios or a, one of the companies in New Zealand would speak to an illicit grower or an illicit grower would speak to us. Uh, we'd come up with a discussion. We'd go and visit and have a look at their genetics and see what we think. Uh, a lot of these genetics, we don't know exactly what they are. So uh, we would test them um, to see what they are. We would also test them for pests and viruses before we bring them into our facility. Um, the declaration process is relatively simple. It's a simple form that then goes to the medicinal cannabis agency. Um, and then at that stage, we'd be able to bring those genetics into our facility. They would then come into our facility through a quarantine process. Um, and depending on how our relationship was with the grower, then the grower may be able to give us some guidance and some tips on bringing that across. It, it's really a case by case basis. That's really interesting. I, I, it's a, a strange setting for uh, you know an established company, yeah. some company is doing very well to go and say, right, we're going to go to a grow, uh, you know, an underground grow up, and we're going to talk to someone about what they're doing. it's a it's a it's a yeah, like I say, it's not really happening anywhere else as a yeah. as a model. But I think it's a really smart way of 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 kind of massaging the legacy market into a into a legal context. It's it's a really interesting way of doing it. 
And New Zealand is relatively small. So, you know, we joke in New Zealand that everyone knows everyone in New Zealand. It's not quite that small, but it's not far off. So um, in terms of those conversations that happen, it's probably a bit easier being a smaller community, um, being able to reach out and have those conversations and look for potential partners. And that line between illicit and um, the legal market, the key thing is if people want to help patients, then they're the right partners to be working with. Absolutely. But I mean, on the subject of, of patients or prescriptions specifically, mm -hmm. I mean, considering, was it 5 million people in New Zealand, right? Mm -hmm. You have double the amount of prescriptions that we do in the UK. Well, we have 16,000 roughly patients. We're a country of 66 million people. I mean, that's staggering that there's such a disparity in that respect. What else are you doing right essentially to kind of the education piece as you mentioned has to be there you know i guess there's access what what, what other things are contributing to you know basically double what we have here in the uk so i think the education is a very big part of it um i think one of the things that we have invested in heavily is an education program so helios is the educational sponsor of a platform called mcinfo.com where healthcare professionals are able to log in and get information around medicinal cannabis, um, right from how the endocannabinoid system works to the latest clinical trials that have happened around the world. And that's breaking down a number of barriers for healthcare professionals. We see that when we go to the doctor's conferences. So I went to a doctor's conference last year and the biggest thing that doctors came by and said to us last year was, uh, my, I don't know anything about medicinal cannabis. Can you help me? And so we were able to fill that gap. Whereas this year, uh, when we went to that conference uh, just a few months back, 12 months later from our previous conference, then the doctors are coming to us and they say, okay, I've got a few patients who are on CBD. I'd like some more information about dosage. I'd like some information about what is THC? How do I use that compared to CBD? I've got some different indications. I'm a patient myself. It's actually moved a long way in quite a short period of time. Mm. You know, we're seeing month-on-month -month growth of patient script numbers in the region of 4 or 5% month-on-month. So I think that people are talking about it over their back fence with their neighbour and they're saying, oh, I've been taking this for my arthritis and it's really helped or you know, I've tried this because I couldn't sleep and it's really helped. So I think a lot of it is word of mouth as well as then the doctors feeling more comfortable. Mm. Uh, we've also seen some of the clinics pop up across New Zealand and the clinics are taking a leading role in education of other GPs as well, which I think is maybe interesting because yeah. rather, rather than them saying, we'll take all of the patients, they're saying, let us help you with those cases that are much more complex but let us help to educate other GPs as well. In New Zealand, any GP, any doctor can prescribe for any condition. And that also is different to what we see in the UK or in some of the other medicinal cannabis markets that any doctor is able to prescribe any condition and any pharmacy can dispense. So we can have those products in the hands of a patient either same day or overnight, depending on how rural that pharmacy is. Wow. It's 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 really interesting. I, uh, with, when it comes to C obviously CBD within the UK, you can buy over the you know not even over the counter, just in pretty much any shop. In the UK, 
there are rules and regulations around what you can say with regard to CBD, not making any claims. Mm-hmm. How does that work as a direct medicine that's coming via a prescription when it comes to advertising or when it comes to doctors talking about products? It seems like a really interesting dichotomy there that in one country you can't make any claims and in another country it's it medically prescribed, so it must have some benefit, otherwise it wouldn't mm-hmm. be used. And it, it, I know it's a minefield cross-country border, but mm-hmm. how does it work within New Zealand when it comes to advertising and talking about products? So in New Zealand, we are restricted that we can't do any advertising on products because there is no clinical data to support the products in market at the moment. So if those products were clinically trialled and registered as a medicine, Um, then we'd be able to advertise them. But at this stage, we're not able to talk about any of the products, any of the indications that they have. What we are able to do is work and give information to doctors around the things that I spoke about before. So the latest trials that have happened. And that is probably one of the biggest barriers to doctors being open to prescribing is them saying, look, I just, I don't, I need some more evidence. I need some more clinical information to know that this is going to work for my patient in a lot of cases it's actually the patient who is going to the doctor and saying i want to try this um so from things really simple things from sleep or uh, pain but then a lot more complex conditions where the patients have done their own research Uh, so those conditions where we know cannabis is really helping those multi-layered conditions where cannabis works on a number of different receptors at the same time in the endocannabinoid system through the entourage effect, then those patients are doing some of their own research. They're talking in their patient groups and they're going to their doctors um, and sometimes being referred to the clinics that have a lot more experience in this. So yeah, we are, to summarize, we are restricted in the advertising. We can, we can talk about Helios, but you'll notice throughout the whole podcast, I won't talk in detail about any of our products because yeah. that would be seen to be advertising the yeah, product. No, yeah, yeah, understood. I think it's really good, though. The, the fact that so much of it's patient-led probably speaks to how good a job there is uh, educating and creating an awareness. Obviously, having a recent referendum and having a mm-hmm. medical bill pass probably goes a long way in doing that. But Clearly, people are talking over the fence to one another about the product if they're then taking that information okay. to a to a GP or to their doctor. So, I think that's really, you know, that that's a really good thing. Uh, there are some really great things happening, and perhaps the advertising makes it different and difficult. Certainly, from a I suppose from a business perspective for, mm-hmm. for you guys and for other producers within the country. What other challenges are there? Do you think within New Zealand at the moment, and, and what are the the things that are limiting uh, either the care that patients are able to get or for for your business for other businesses like yours yeah so there's two main challenges that i would say um so from a patient perspective the biggest challenge is cost um so there is no subsidies available for medicinal cannabis um there's no insurance available for medicinal cannabis at this stage and so one of the things that local producers like helios have been able to do is bring down the cost already uh, compared to some of the imported products. However, we do recognise that even with the reducing that cost, it still is a barrier for a lot of people to be able to afford this product. So what I would love to see in the future is an openness from, um, from a funding perspective to talk to the Ministry of Health around this. And I think 
know, as we gain some more traction, we'll see that. As we get some more clinical evidence, we'll see that. But right now, the biggest barrier to patients is, is cost um, or doctors that aren't willing to prescribe because they're looking for evidence. Uh, from a company perspective and a New Zealand medicinal cannabis industry perspective, one of the biggest barriers, so we've talked about our regulations in New Zealand. There are some parts of the regulations that make our life easy. There's also some parts that make our life very difficult. And regulations are not there necessarily to make our life difficult, but they are there to make sure we protect the quality of the products that the patients are getting, which is exactly what we want as well. Uh, one of the things that we have been talking about across the medicinal cannabis industry and on the Medicinal Cannabis Council, where I'm a board member, is uh, some of the regulations around export. So for us to export from New Zealand, we need those products need to meet the New Zealand regulations before they can be exported. And then they need to meet the regulations of the country they're being exported to. So in some cases, they match. But in many cases, there are subtle differences that mean that we're doing double testing or extra paperwork. And it also is taking a lot longer to be able to do that. So that's one of the areas that the industry is in discussion with the Medicinal Cannabis Agency around some of those regulations for export. Um, some of our internal regulations for patients here, we'll see some small changes in those. But the biggest one, I think, that the industry is facing is just this need to do double work to export by meeting New Zealand regulations and then meeting the country that we're exporting to as well. Which countries are kind of are you exporting to or planning to? What where, where are the sort of biggest overseas markets for you? Yeah, so one of the great things about producing in New Zealand, you know, as well as it being a great place to live and a great place to grow cannabis, then is the fact that our GMP certificate in New Zealand is mutually recognised as EU GMP. So through the mutual recognition scheme. So that obviously opens up the markets across Europe for us without then the agency needing to come and do an additional audit. So a lot of our focus uh, for a start is across the European markets. Um, Australia, our neighbour next door as well, is quite a big market and growing quickly. So we'll see exports across to Australia as well. But they're quite, quite a buoyant cannabis industry in Australia too, haven't they? They do, yeah. So Australia has a, quite a strong cannabis industry already. Um, and I think that they started just a couple of years before New Zealand. So for us, there's always a friendly rivalry between yeah, yeah. New Zealand yeah, yeah. and Australia. But we do look to their industry with some of the trends to see how they will then transfer across to New Zealand. So we'll see some of the same trends in terms of patients moving from CBD across to THC products. We'll probably see some of the similar trends around dried flour and other dosage forms as they see in Australia. So we actually look to them as a bit of a, a benchmark and understanding how the industry will develop for local patients. Because again, so I don't want to get too much into Australia, but is it in the capital territory, ACT, it's actually recreational is legal, is that right? Or it's decriminalised at least. But So it's yeah. varying state by state over there, isn't it? It is. So, you know, similar to in the US, where you yeah. can't take the US market as the US market, hmm. you need to look at Australia on a state by state basis. There are some of the rules that go right across the entire country, but there's some that are specific state by state. But New Zealand is still, I mean, you know, North, South Island, different provinces, everything is, you know, same legislation, essentially same regulations that you're dealing with. It is. 
Very cool. Very cool. So where would you kind of like to see or where do you think that the uh, industry is going in, in New Zealand? What would you like to, to happen? I mean, for example, do you feel like medicinal is the key to unlocking recreational? Do you think that, you know, if you held a referendum in a couple more years, you'd have a lot more awareness around uh, cannabis usage? Is that something that's even desirable? I'm, I'm just curious to uh, yeah. where do you so think it's it, going? Yeah. So from my perspective, um, what I'm really passionate about is helping the patients that especially can't get relief elsewhere. So some of the conventional pharmaceuticals are not working for some of these patients. These patients have multi-layered conditions. They've tried everything. In some cases, they've even been told by a doctor, look, I don't even think you're sick because none of these medicines are working for them. So not only are they in pain and suffering, they've also lost their voice. And, you know, this is a, a personal passion, but a passion across Helios. We want to really make sure that we're helping those patients. And I think that the medicinal cannabis scheme absolutely serves that. Uh, we'll see additional research going on. So Helios has uh, research collaborations with Auckland University of Technology, where we have three PhD students working on projects for future products for us in that medical setting. Um, in terms of the recreational piece, I think that we'll see some changes, but I think it'll take time. I think that the government will continue to refer back to the referendum, even though it was such a narrow margin. Um, they don't see us having a referendum in the next year or two. Um, so we'll see how, how things play out. But absolutely, I would say we'll look across to Australia and the UK to see what happens there. Um, and then we'll see how those markets play out and how that then translates across into New Zealand. One thing I would be really interested to find out in the UK, when it comes to convincing doctors and providing research and, and showing the benefits, be it THC, CBD, anything like that, any cannabinoid or, or just a, of cannabis in general, um, the NHS in particular is a lot more keen on studies that are done within the UK as opposed to anything else. Now, with New Zealand being uh, a lot smaller and taking a lot of the time impetus from larger nations, is that a problem that you have or are you quite happy or is the government quite happy looking further afield for research? How does it? How, does, how do they view it? Yeah, absolutely. So as a small country, we're used to looking at what happens in other countries. Um, and I think on the clinical trials one, that's a really interesting point there. A lot of trials for pharmaceutical medicines are actually done in New Zealand um, because the clinical trial pathway in New Zealand, they're able to do trials relatively quickly with less red tape um, than potentially in the UK or in the US. But those trials that we do in New Zealand are still recognised under the same regulation. Um, we also have a really diverse cultural element in our population. So that makes it a really interesting place to do clinical trials as well, because a lot of us, well, most of us are, are immigrants from somewhere. So whether from Europe or from across the Pacific Islands, from Asia. So we have a really super diverse patient population here for doing clinical trials, which means that the data that comes out of trials from New Zealand is often uh, really highly regarded in other countries as well. So I'd like to see that happen as part of the future progress. And we have a number of clinical trial partners in New Zealand who are really excited to be part of providing this evidence for doctors as well. Very cool. No, sorry, Jason. No, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, I mean, in terms of sort of, I mean, having a diverse kind of ethnic population, in the US, obviously, you have the kind of issue of kind of social social equity and justice mm -hmm. and things like that. Is that 
how big an issue do you feel like that is in New Zealand right now? So around medicinal cannabis, I think that, like I said earlier, the access point for patients around cost um, mm -hmm. is absolutely a challenge around social equity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we could see some additional government funding. Um, so they fund other medicines in New Zealand that are helping people. So it's kind of like the NHS do you have? Like, but I mean, if we, I'm, again, yeah. I'm a medicinal cannabis patient here in the UK. And again, it, we're so used to the NHS, you know, you have us kind of everything subsidized. You have to go to a private clinic here in the UK and it costs, you know, 10 times as much. Is it similar in New Zealand then? So our system is a bit different. We don't have a national health service like you have here in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, what we have instead, so... ACC, which covers accidents that happen in New Zealand, and that's funded through our taxes mm -hmm. and through employers. Um, and ACC, we have some cases now starting to come through where ACC are funding medicinal cannabis. Okay. So that's um, through accident compensation. So that's, but it really is quite case specific, depending on your caseworker and getting the right person and the right doctor and then filling in the right forms. It's not that there is a process for it yet. But it gives me hope that there are some patients that we now hear from that are saying we're able to get some funding through this. And those are people who maybe have chronic pain through a previous accident that they've had. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we do a lot of outdoor adventure sports in New Zealand. Uh, we joke in. So I'm from Queenstown originally. Ah, yes. And um, I heard so, about that. <laughs> There's <laughs> lots of uh, it's outdoor adventure central, isn't it? Bungee jumping. Yep. climbing skiing etc it's not been but i've heard great things yeah so skiing mountain biking all those things and you know for example in queenstown the doctors joke that if you haven't broken your collarbone then you're not a real queenstowner so between snowboarding okay. or or mountain biking the collarbone is the one that often gets broken there so um, there's not much you can do for a collarbone you need to pin it and and let it heal, but it can still cause people some pain over over time, you know, um, especially if it gets cold or they're pushing things a bit hard the next time out there on the bike. And so some of those accidents are then covered by ACC, and we're seeing then some of that funding come through for patients through ACC. So I'd like to see that more formalised through mm -hmm. that system. We may also see funding in future through Pharmac. So Pharmac is the... Uh, agency that then approves what drugs go onto the funding list, what medicines go onto the funding list for New Zealand. We might see some of those come through there, but I think for Pharmac to be able to approve funding for medicinal cannabis, they would want clinically trialed products. So we will see. But <laughs> no, I would love, um, I would love for more people who really could benefit from medicinal cannabis to be able to get access. I think that barrier of cost, we can do all that we can as a producer, but um, there's only so far that we can go on that piece. It's something we're passionate about is being able to work with some of the other partners um, in government or in a funding model and insurance and see if we can find an easier way for some of these patients to access. A better pathway to, to get them the help. It's, it's, it's really... In the kind of vein of that, and it's not a, a put you on the spot question, I think yeah. different countries have different models and something that a lot of countries just kind of look away from really is the idea of home grow, unless you have full legalisation. Now, uh, from a market perspective, home grow is very unlikely to erode much of okay. the overall market for a business or for, 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 the, for the whole kind of legal market. What, 
what do you think about home grow from the perspective of providing patients with the care that they need? I suppose yeah. is sort of the best way to put it, because a lot of patients already have existing knowledge. They may already have been growing yeah. themselves. It, what, what do you think about that in, yeah. in, in how it pertains to your business or how it pertains yeah. to the market or care or the whole spectrum? Yeah, I think for for me, anything that helps with patient access is a good thing. Um, I think that the risks and the downsides around home grow is really around consistency and quality. Um, and if I look at medicinal cannabis and where it's being used, so I, I look at any type of medicine. I've spent most of my life working in medicines and I look at any type of medicines about would I feel comfortable with my mother taking this or my daughter taking this? You know, and so for that situation, then that needs to be safe. It needs to be exactly what it says it's going to be. It needs to be consistent. And, you know, in a cannabis setting, it's around what pesticides are being used, what cutting agents are being used, if it's being processed, all of those things I think are really important. So I, I think there's more to it around a risk perspective that we need to be aware of for the black market if we're really looking at cannabis as a medicine but I think that anything that improves patient access is a is a good thing. And I think that from a home grow perspective, um, there is, so while it is still illegal in New Zealand to be growing your own, the, the police do have some discretion, I think. And it's about, and then it comes down to the inv individual on how they exercise that discretion. And this links back to our discussion earlier around the referendum. And I think that if they had, just got the wording slightly differently. It could have been a very different story around decriminalisation, um, which could have helped more people. But, um, you know, those are the regulations and we don't make them, but we need to play by them. And so that's where we are at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that, that argument for quality and for standardisation and consistency is really important. If someone is just growing for themselves, to some extent, there's a, a level of personal responsibility. But as soon as it, it goes wider than that, and they start growing for other people, that's when the, the, the lines blur a little bit. And you have to start thinking about how, how much you know about the person you're getting it from which is the entire problem with the illicit market. So mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting blur and countries like Thailand are taking a particularly different approach mm -hmm. to other countries and taking a reasonably, I would say, non-commercial approach to the whole mm -hmm. thing. And they're just leaving it up to people and it will be interesting to see how that develops. But yeah, it's great to get your take on that. Yeah, I think the Thailand market, we obviously heard from uh, some people from the Thailand market on the emerging panel Emerging yes. Markets panel that I spoke on at ICBC, um, very, very different model in Thailand. And I think that there will be some good things that come out of it, but there's definitely some bumps in the road already in Thailand happening. Um, a petition of 800 doctors has already gone to the government saying, you know, we need some rules around this because otherwise we have a potential to create harm around we, I don't think we've heard the end of the Thailand regulations story yet. I think there'll be some bumps and there'll be some adjustments in their pathway. But I think it's a very bold move um, that they've gone from one extreme to the other. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for Thailand. And then for us in New Zealand, given our geographical location, we look mm. to see how this plays out across the rest of Asia or Southeast Asia. You know, those are prime export markets for us as regulations change, as we look to those as emerging markets, they already very much look at medicine as a holistic approach. 
which is very much aligned with medicinal cannabis. Um, they've been using plant-based medicines for centuries. And so I think that the Asian markets and how they evolve as time goes on will be interesting to see. And I think this is the first that we've seen of a company or a country making a really bold stand is the Thailand um, so Thailand changing regulations. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what was it the other day? Someone was, was it really executed in Singapore for, mm -hmm. wasn't it for supplying? Yeah. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, I guess Russia is not strictly, well, not Asia in, 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 in well, it partly is, but it's so yeah. huge. President Brittany Griner sort of, you know, in prison yeah. for nine years for, you know, possession of less than one gram of uh, yeah. cannabis oil. I mean, I'm not going to ask for your take on it to put you on the spot. But again, it's just fascinating how yeah. so many varied kind of perspectives and, yeah. you know, rules and regulations around that. And I remember the, the Thai delegation in uh, ICBC talking about how they saw kind of North Asian markets, you know, yeah. China, Japan, Korea as you know they were more important as export markets than they thought the sort of domestic one was and i mm -hmm. thought i mean I'm, I'm not sure what the rules and regulations in the rest of kind of asia pacific countries are but uh, again i guess there's the cultural aspect and then mm -hmm. there's the kind of legal aspect isn't there and i think culturally it, it it would seem to follow that if there's a precedent set for you know the, you know like you say plant-based medicine or holistic medicine that demand is already there even mm -hmm. if the government don't latch onto it yet but again it, it kind of gives you hope doesn't it that there's there's demand it's the case of right. it's not just about meeting that demand but doing it in the right way and certainly it's uh it sounds like what you're doing in new zealand is you know doing everything in a way that seems very sensible and measured um which is fantastic and it's you know there's lots we can learn i think or lots the world can learn from uh, from your story mm. Yeah, for me, uh, so I've lived in six countries and traveled to over 50. I love the cultural elements of traveling and being in different countries, seeing how different places approach family, approach society, approach, you know, wellness and health. And um, so I'm really fascinated to see how Asia plays out. I lived in Singapore for a couple of years and traveled pretty extensively across across Asia and also spent quite a lot of time in Japan. Um, Japan has some regulations in place at the moment that are very different to the rest of the world and the fact that they extract from stalks of cannabis plants. Um, but there's discussions about that changing as well. And, you know, the, the cannabis use in Japan could be an area um, around their high stress environment and their, their holistic approach to health that also could change the whole dynamics of the world of medicinal cannabis. I think everyone has their eyes on Germany, but I think that as an industry worldwide, uh, we do need to look left and right of what's happening in Germany as well. Absolutely. And that will be, I always think that your time will tell. I mean, I guess it's interesting. I mean, thinking about Amsterdam, you know, decriminalized decriminalization in the Netherlands and, you know, the kind of culture that's already there in Germany. I mean, just from being there, there isn't necessarily the same access in, you know, in, there's not that kind of coffee shop culture. Mm -hmm. And to kind of just f flip, you know, flip a switch and say, you know, now everything's going to be legal. It's like that's just not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Not And it's, it's going to be interesting how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, time will tell, eh? But no. Mm -hmm. No, but any any final thoughts? I mean, it's been great to talk with you, Carmen, and uh, you know, wish you safe travels back to New Zealand. But uh, what what's next for you in the next few months when you get back? 
Yeah, so I head back into a busy time at Helios. We have some more products launching this year. It'll be the first time in the world that we will see New Zealand-grown, New Zealand-made medicines available, um, which is really exciting for us as the leading cannabis company in New Zealand. Uh, so we'll be we'll see those coming to market. We'll also see our first exports going out the door um, from Helios and from some of the other companies in New Zealand as well. So we've got I think the uh, the run into Christmas will happen pretty swiftly with plenty plenty going on. I'm looking forward to staying in touch with those that I've met while I've been in Europe and hopefully coming back soon. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, been great. And uh, yeah, wish you every success and uh, hopefully we'll speak again soon. So thanks for, thanks for coming on the show and uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Carmen.